The man in charge of sonic motivation for players. DJ extraordinaire. The official DJ of your Edmonton Oilers. The NHL hub. DJ for the Stanley Cup playoffs. Of the World Junior Hockey Championship. John Hicks. John Hicks. John Hicks, a.k.a. Johnny Infamous. Johnny Infamous. Johnny Infamous. Johnny Infamous. A shout out to DJ Infamous in the building at Rogers Place, keeping the energy up. Yep. Welcome to Between Whistles with your host, Johnny Infamous. Brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. Presented by DraftKings. This week is jam-packed with ways for you to have a front-row seat to all of the action. Assemble your team lineup while staying under the salary cap, then sit back and watch your points pile up. Over $7 billion has been paid out to users across all sports. Download the DraftKings app, sign up using code THPN, and get a free entry with your first deposit. Minimum $5 required. Hello, hello. It's episode seven of the show. Welcome back, everyone. It's Johnny. A reminder to download, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And that the visual version of this show is up on YouTube at Between Whistles. If you want to see as well as hear all the talented sports entertainment pros who join me every week. And this week, I'm excited to be talking to someone who when we booked the interview, was with one NHL team and now has joined another. This is the ever-changing and exciting world we live in of game presentation. And when we talk about dreamers, creators, and leaders of the in-game experience, my guest today is in the top tier. She's been involved in sports event entertainment since just after leaving high school and has since worked as an event manager, producer, and director with teams like the San Jose Sharks, Detroit Red Wings, and helped to launch the most highly regarded in-game show in pro hockey today with the Las Vegas Golden Knights. Now she's about to embark on her newest adventure in her career, helping to launch yet another NHL franchise as Senior Director of Entertainment Experience with the Seattle Kraken. She is Erin Sequera. Welcome to Between Whistles. Hey, Johnny. Thank you so very much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So what a journey in the NHL. Did you always want to be involved in the presentation side of sports? Uh, no. So <laughs> I was a theater and criminal justice major. Oh, wow. um, I was going to junior college right out of high school. And my theater nerd side saw the posting for the brand new building in San Jose. So right when that building was open, they put out a call for ushers and game night staff. And so... I, the theater and music nerd, was like, I can go see concerts for free. Heck yeah. So I applied to the building and I was an usher to start with. And then I just worked my way up. Now, I have to ask because I've heard rumblings and I, I got to hear the story. Were you once a rollerblading rhinoceros? <laughs> I was. Um, I was a backup mascot. I was like the appearance mascot for, I don't know. I don't know if the kids these days will recall something called Roller Hockey International. Oh, of course. Uh, but the RHI was a thing and the San Jose team was the San Jose Rhinos. And I was a performer, you know, as a theater person and they needed a backup person that could go do appearances. And so I would put on the suit and I was a large purple rhinoceros that rollerbladed. <laughs> We all got to start somewhere. Uh, before we talk about the obvious, you know, the amazing work you did in Vegas, uh, what do you feel you learned in those years before moving up in the NHL, being with the Sharks, the Red Wings, their in-game production teams? What did you learn from them that prepared you for the big undertaking of planning a new team's show from the ground up with the Knights? I think that starting, starting my journey as an usher and then working into a promo team member, I was on the promo team for like six years. 
just running around an arena, throwing t-shirts into the stands, doing the noise signs. I mean, at one point we had a game where there was, you wore a goalie helmet and it had a mini stick glued to the top and you'd catch rings as kids threw them at you. So like, I, I learned so much just from being, you know, that ground floor person. And then after that, I was an intern. So I interned with the community relations department. Um, I processed season ticket credit card numbers. I did anything I possibly could. Arena tours. Sure. I'll go do an arena tour. Hmm. Um, so all in all, I spent about 13 years with the Sharks and and really kind of just fell into sports because I was in the right place at the right time. You know, I think I learned what it feels like to be a fan. I think I learned what it feels like to be those different levels within an organization. And I think that that's given me a really strong foundation to then go to a different team or to, to go to Vegas, you know, and to build something from scratch because it's like, Oh, I've been there. We need that position. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm really thankful for, for my journey because it's not traditional. Um, you know, it's, it, I'm scrappy and it, it's grit. Are you going to stick with it? Are you going to work through it? Are you going to, are you going to make the three hour drive to work? You know, at one point I lived in Chico, California, but I was still driving to San Jose for games and that's a three hour drive. So I would drive three hours, work a game as a promo team member, and then drive three hours back to school. That's not normal, you know, and, and I don't think people should have to do that, but it was part of my journey. It's, it goes into making me who I am. Uh, for those people who may be thinking about it as a career, uh, just let them know, how did you acquire the position in Vegas with the Golden Knights? How does something like that happen? Becoming a director, a caller of shows. It's a very coveted position. I had actually been out of sports. I, I left the Red Wings and I went to work for a wealth manager who focused on professional athletes. So I was working with his company. And then I took about a year off and um, I drove around the country for six months with like my dog. And I stayed at national parks and went and visited friends and like just kind of lived a nomadic life. And then I went back to California and I was staying with my parents and I'm not a person to be idle. So I was, I was working in the garden center at Lowe's as a cashier and the job for Vegas popped up and I wasn't really sure I wanted to go back into sports. Um, I wasn't really sure I wanted to work frankly for a man again. Um, you know, and so I applied, I wrote a cover letter and everything. And I, Johnny just got inundated with applicants and it was an overwhelming response. Anytime you post a job in sports, right. And Johnny was having a really hard time filling the role. And so he reached out to his mentor, Pete Soto, who's with the chargers, uh, San Diego. And he was like, Hey, I'm having a hard time jiving with people. And Pete was like, well, read me the names. Johnny read the names to Pete and Pete was like, Aaron. Talk to Aaron. Aaron's a good one. And so Johnny and I hopped on the phone and we had like multiple conversations and you've had Johnny in your show so that you know Johnny's a talker. So I'm literally at Lowe's on a break trying to talk to Johnny and Johnny just like keeps talking and keeps talking and keeps talking. And so like it worked out. Johnny and I jived. We have similar philosophy um, about leadership and about growing people and really investing in your people and not being territorial. You know, like I, yes, I'm a show caller. But at one point, I had a show caller above me who wouldn't let me call shows. Mm. And so, like, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be that kind of leader. And Johnny's not that way either. There is kind of that competition where some people don't want to allow other people to grow in this industry. Yes, there's very definitely a mentality that if I know my job, 
and I don't teach it to anybody else, then I'm going to be safe. I'm going to have a job. Well, that comes to bite you in the butt sometimes too, because if nobody else knows what you do, then you can't get sick. You can't take a day off. But more so, that's not who you should be or who I would aspire to be as a human being. I don't want to be possessive and closed off. I don't want to be the person that's like, no, no, if you know what I do, then I'm irrelevant. No, if you know what I do, you can help me be better. If you know what I do, I've invested in you and I'm helping to grow you and I'm helping to create that next generation. In Detroit, one of my proudest accomplishments was seeing the kid put on the headset and call a game. You know, like I wanted Kevin to succeed. I wanted Kevin to have his moment because that's what he's working towards. And so how do you keep a person motivated on your team if you're never giving them that opportunity? And so giving up the seat or teaching somebody else to call, that's an honor. You're from the Bay Area of California. So before you and the team in Vegas put all your skills and tools to use, how did you really connect with the city to kind of feel like locals and get inspired to create that amazing in-game experience for the Knights? How do you learn a city? How do you learn to tell a story for a city you've never been to? That's, that's the joy and honor of what game folks do, right? Like we get to learn. And so when we got to Vegas, um, we went driving through Red Rock Canyon, hiking through Red Rock Canyon, um, driving around the city to as many Cirque shows as we possibly could because Cirque du Soleil was a partner. And so walking behind the scenes of Ka and seeing like how they fire arrows or going to a carrot top show. And yes, you're watching the carrot top show, but you're watching the audience too. And you're seeing what hits and you're seeing, yes, they're tourists, but they're part of what makes Vegas, Vegas. Um, Just talking to people, you know, talking to your neighbors and asking locals, being like, what's a restaurant they need to go try out? You know, what do you love about Vegas or what do you wish people knew about Vegas? It's doing your homework. And, And that's the fun thing because it helps you fall in love with your city too. And our team got to go do all of these amazing things and learn about where we were geographically, um, emotionally as a city, right? Like people always think Vegas is just transients. There's nobody that actually lives in Vegas. Well, all those hotel workers have to live somewhere. All those artists and performers and singers, they live somewhere. They live here. And so what's their story and why, what's, what, what do they fall in love with about being part of this town? The stuff that you, along with Johnny Greco uh, and the rest of the game presentation team at the Golden Knights created was so original, groundbreaking for the sport. You ruffled some feathers doing that of the curmudgeons, the traditionalists, uh, the folks who aren't too keen on super amounts of added theatrics. But you proved that there is a desire from the fans to see more from organizations in that area and that they appreciate it. Uh, what are some of the things about the Vegas organization in particular that allowed your team to be successful? Successful. Our team was successful in Vegas because our leader, who is the team president, like we reported directly to the team president. We reported to Carrie and Carrie gave us the opportunity to fail. Carrie never put pressure on us that we had to be perfect right out of the gate or that if we failed in front of crowd, we would be in trouble. You know, like it, it was just being able to try, being able to experiment, being able to take risks. Um, you can't grow without risk. And if you're, if you're telling people that, oh, you you can try it, but you can't fail, they're not going to try. And so what allowed us to be successful in Vegas was the fact that 
we were allowed to try anything, hmm. you know, and some things succeeded really well and some things failed. We're here to be bold and to be innovative and to create. And so that was, that was an exceptional launch pad for this team. One of the hardest parts of your job must have been after you'd prepared everything, launched the preseason, and now you're getting ready for the regular season. Then suddenly, obviously having to deal with the tragedy that struck the community. I'm talking about the shooting on the Strip on October 1st. What was it like having to figure out how to pick up those pieces and not only pay respects to the fallen, but to somehow get fans excited again about hockey, about the game in their city with so much sadness looming overhead. And I also imagine your staff and team were feeling this pain from the community. What was the fuel for the fire to get started again and plan that evening? That whole week, that whole nine days. um, Yes. Our staff was affected. You know, we had people in our front office that were there. That, that were there that night. Um, we had, we actually had a day game. So we had a game against the San Jose Sharks on 1st of October. It had to have been a 3 p.m. game because I think we were walking out between 5 and 6. You know, and like you're looking at each other and you're like, you going over there? And it's like, no, I'm not going to go. And you know that you have, you have promo team people and you have control room people and your lighting guy and your announcer, <laughs> like, like we have so many people in our community who were part of that or who had a family there and everything. So going into the office and the office being eerily silent and then looking at people and being like, we should go donate blood. And then you're hopping in a car and you're driving down to the blood bank and the line is a mile, no joke, a mile long. Living in it helped to learn the story to tell. You you start to see what the story is. And then by the time it was the night, the night to launch the franchise, um, we had we had created that video Warriors, which talked about the city and everything. And that was Imagine Dragons. And Imagine Dragons are from here. And Imagine Dragons were legitimately, they just gave us the track. They gave us like the different levels of the track. They're like, take whatever you need, use it. We're honored to be part of it. So it was just feeling your way, reading your city, reading your staff, you know, and then the night of, it was almost like it was permission, permission to start to feel better because you you do, you've been in it for nine days and it's constant and everybody is emotional and you almost feel guilty for happiness. And so, you know, starting the night the way we did, honoring the names, honoring the real heroes, the first responders and things like that, um, having the staff from the Route 91 Festival actually sing the anthem, you know, because they're affected too. That was their, that was their event. Mm. And so, and then you drop, and then, you know, Derek England's speech, he's like, this is my city, this is my town. And you're just telling the city, it's going to be okay. We're part of your family. We feel it too, you know, and then the game started and there were goals and like people are starting to, ch- and it's just, it was, it was, it was a pivot night in a sense, because it kind of allowed people to be like, all right, life will be the new normal. We can gather as a group again, hmm. it's okay to cry and cheer and laugh. And so it was a pretty transformative experience all in all. Well, you did an incredible job. I think anyone 
who's watched the pregame show, I mean, it's just, you connect with it. It's a human experience. I heard that you haven't even watched it back over. Is that true? Yeah, I haven't watched the full thing. Why, um, why, why is that? I'm not ready. <sighs> wow. All right, so some good that came out of it, that fairy tale playoff run after. A yeah. thing of beauty. And we got to see more of your creations, new and amazing ideas coming to life during the pregame shows at that time, stuff we'd never seen before. Uh, what ideas played out perfectly or maybe even better than you had anticipated? What were some of your favorite moments? Um, let me clarify first, not my creations, collaborative creations. That was our team. I mean, everybody contributed. Tyler Ferraro, uh, who was our grad assistant year one, you know, he was up for a director guild of America scholarship. Like he's a crazy creative and he's, he's still with Vegas, of course. And he's, he's leading the silver Knights game presentation and everything, but you know, Andrew Abrams, Rob Depew, Patrick Rulig, like it was collaborative and it's never, it was never any one person. And so that's the really important thing about, about year one is understanding that, we got to bring this incredible group of 10 individuals together and each person in that group contributed and made something bigger than themselves. So I, I really, yeah. So it's not, not my ideas. Um, there are elements of my ideas, <laughs> but so something that stands out or that was really fun about that playoff run. I, and even in Detroit, I got the chance to, to be part of shows that, aren't just screens. You know, we don't, we live in a world now where everything is so screen-based. I'm looking at a screen. I'm looking at you on a screen. I'm talking to a screen, you know, that sometimes we forget there's a world, a physical world around us. And so being able to have physical elements, I just loved that it was fun and that it was dynamic and that it was multidimensional. Well, we know what worked. Was there any ideas you had that you wanted to do? Maybe you tested them and they just didn't work out uh, that never came to fruition? So we, <laughs> the beauty of, of being unafraid to, to fail is that you throw crazy and weird ideas out there. Mm. You know, so um, everybody knows about the tiger by now. Yes, I really wanted a tiger. I really wanted a live tiger. Rob Depew, who lived in Vegas, still lives in Vegas, but had been here for 20 years before the team got here, was like, I know a guy. And it's like, that's what Vegas is, right? You know, a guy who knows a guy who knows a tiger guy. So <laughs> that was, that was fun to kind of talk about and explore and kick around. For fans um, that don't know, this was if you guys had matched up with the Nashville Predators. Correct. We wanted to have a predator on the ice. So what um, were some of the problems that arose with the tiger? Did you try things? Oh gosh, no, no, okay. we never really got out of the concept idea of the tiger because okay. Johnny as wonderful as my ideas might seem. Johnny also has a really great ability to be like, that's not practical. You know, like I wanted real arrows. Like we have archers. Why can't we have real arrows? Why we can just fire them into, and he was like, we're not firing live arrows. I'm like, Ka does. Ka has it. And he's like, that is different. That is Ka. We are not Ka. Um, you know, we did try something where in the animation on the ice, we had banners disappear. We actually tried a physical gag with magician's paper and magician's paper is exactly what it sounds like. It's the paper that magicians use and it flares up and it disappears. And so we were going to do something practical with magician's paper. And um, 
the only place to rig it was over the ice. The NHL is very involved in the playoffs, and the NHL is like, no residue. And I'm like, of course, no residue. And the magician's paper guys are like, yeah, there's no residue. Well, there was residue. So we literally had tried it hours before a game. And that was when we found out there was residue and it was gone. And so you have to pivot a little bit. But again, allowed to fail, allowed to try things. And so when you, when you have that safety net, you, you can be exceptional. In the last 20 years, so many women coming into the sports entertainment and game presentation field, we know of tons of women who are calling, directing. Uh, what tools, positive traits do women bring to the table in game presentation, do you think? They bring their perspective. I, I get it. I get that people are like, all right, already, women are in sports. We get it. But we're disproportionately less than you see men. You know, um, there are things that have happened to me or that I have been a part of or that I have heard or that have been said to me that are very different than Johnny's perspective. And so all of those things go to making me me. All of those things go into creating my empathy and my experience, and they make me the leader that I am. And so when you have women in sports or when you have women in an organization, they bring who they are. They bring their experiences, which shape their perspective to your organization. Honestly, I know of a woman who interviewed for a role and the man interviewing her was like, oh, well, you already have one child. Are you, are you going to have more kids? And she's like, probably. And he goes, well, how are you going to handle maternity leave during the season? A, you can't ask that. <laughs> and B, she's going to handle maternity leave just fine. And she's probably going to come back early because she's driven and she's passionate and she wants to be there. And then when she is in that seat and there's a man on her staff that wants to go to his kid's recital, She's going to have that perspective and be like, you know what? I was treated like crap. I want you to be a good dad. Go, go watch your kids recital. In the 20 years I've been in sports, it's so different. So very different. But still, I get on a weekly call with all of these game presentation managers for the NHL, game presentation directors. And it's so exciting to see, you know, there's Cynthia in Montreal and she is a genius. She's on the technical side. She can run a control room. She can run a show. She's so smart. She's got a kid. It doesn't keep her from doing what she's doing. You know, Elizabeth in Nashville, she's young and she's learning and she's good and she's smart. Taylor in Toronto. Taylor is an exceptional human being, a hell of a hockey mind. She just happens to be female. There's just so much opportunity. Tina DeVillo leading the show in Philadelphia. It's very exciting to see. Okay, so you've moved on from Vegas, and our listeners right now may be hearing for the first time that you've now accepted a position as Senior Director of Entertainment Experience with the Seattle Kraken, the NHL's 32nd franchise. You're going to be launching in the 2021-22 season, and you're going to be reunited with your favorite teammate, Johnny Greco, once again, uh, launching a team's on-ice, in-game brand. Are you excited? Overwhelmed? I mean, here we go again. How are you feeling moving into your new familiar role? Johnny is the reason that I'm back in sports and the reason that I'm comfortable in sports um, because his wife, Amanda Greco, is an absolute force. She is a show caller. She is a freelancer. She's done Olympics. She's uh, headed to a basketball tournament right now. Like she is incredible. And so Johnny understands celebrating strong women and not being intimidated by them. And so I'm excited. 
I, I mean, I, I love what I do and to go to a franchise in a city like Seattle and to go to that franchise with the leadership that they have and the commitment that they have made to the city, to diversity and inclusion towards being carbon neutral, like all of these things align with things that are really important to me. And so headed to this city and getting the opportunity to build a show and to build an entertainment experience team, uh, to work with Johnny and Lamont, you know, Lamont Buford, um, amazing talent as well. One of the kindest humans you will ever run across, you know, so I'm, I'm thankful and grateful and excited and I cannot wait to immerse myself in everything Seattle to go on the ferry rides and hang out at the Seattle center and to go to Mopop and, you know, like, and to learn about that city and the history of that city. I mean, they won the first, they were the first American team to win a Stanley cup. So come on there, there's history and there's tradition and there's exciting new things. And it's a town where anything is possible, much like Vegas. What aspirations or ideas do you have for the in-game show that you may be able to share with us? Or if you can't give much away, how do you want the team to feel or be presented in their inaugural season? So this is day two, so I have no insider knowledge. Uh, there's nothing that I can tell you that's a secret. Um, <laughs> I can tell you that when we play our first game, I want fans and people that aren't at the game but are at a bar watching down the street, I want them to be so excited. And I want them to feel like hockey is back. And I want them to feel like we got it right. When somebody comes to a Seattle Kraken hockey game at Climate Pledge Arena in the city of Seattle, they're like, yep, this feels like Seattle. This is a Seattle experience. That's what I want. It's been a long time coming. I'm sure we can't all wait for the obvious sea shanties and the buoy sounds. And if Sea of Love isn't your goal song, I'll be a little disappointed. Thank you so much for uh, sharing your stories here today with us, Aaron. And uh, I hope uh, after your inaugural season, you can come back and tell us about some of the accomplishments you and your team has made there. Thanks for joining us on Between Whistles today. Thank you so very much. Really appreciate it. An amazing show today. For me personally, I was honored to have met Erin. She mirrors that same drive, that same determination and creativity I was privy to when Johnny Greco was on the show. Don't forget, we will be talking to another vital piece of the in-game experience for the Seattle Kraken next month when Lamont Buford, formerly of the St. Louis Blues and Arizona Coyotes, who has now joined the team in Emerald City as Vice President of Entertainment Experience and Production, will hop on the show to chat more about the NHL's newest and destined to be most exciting franchise games tonight in the league speaking of exciting got the Canucks taking on the Senators Flyers versus the Rangers Canadians and Jets the Sharks taking on the Golden Knights the Blues and Kings and what do you know we've got another battle of Alberta in Calgary as the Edmonton Oilers look to win against the Calgary Flames don't forget if you have a chance to please drop us a review on Apple Podcasts I appreciate it my name is Johnny Infamous and I'll see you next week Be good to each other. Join Johnny Infamous every Wednesday at noon for Between Whistles. Subscribe and watch live on YouTube or listen wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. Presented by DraftKings. Use promo code THPN to unlock rewards at DraftKings.com.